In June 1979, a strange man using the pseudonym Robert C. Christian enters the Elberton Granite Finishing Company on behalf of a small group of loyal Americans. He commissions the construction of a very strange monument with an even stranger inscription. The monument would later be known as the American Stonehenge. But what exactly is the meaning behind the message? You're listening to the Mysterious Brews Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of the Georgia Guidestones. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. So off the air, we're rendezvousing. Uh, we're I think it's it's considered westbound and down, don't you think? I mean, we're seven days out. I would be able to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're it ain't Coors, but we'll let you know what it tastes like. About to get hooked up in Tennessee, but speaking of that, uh, that uh, <laughs> he's so giddy he can't put it into words. No, we're gonna have to edit that out, maybe. But yeah, he just sent eastbound and down was his message. <laughs> Leave uh, it in so he can hear. All right. So, coach's prediction came true. They shocked the world, tore the goalpost down, and then had an Alabama player punch a kid. Wish that I was on old Rocky Top down in the Tennessee Hills. Ain't no smoggy smoke on Rocky Top. Ain't no telephone bills. Rocky Top, you'll always be home to home to me. Good old Rocky Top. Woo! Rocky Top, Tennessee, baby. Gonna beat, gonna beat Georgia. Going to beat Bama again. Uh, now you've lost your mind. In the national championship. It's going to be Tennessee's year, baby. There was that whole crack pipe there. I thought you had dropped and bumped your head when you said, you know, I'll give you, you might beat Georgia, but you ain't beat no Papa Saban twice in one year. So, yes. It's very hard to do. He will have at least a week. Isn't there a week between the end of the season and the SEC? Don't they give them in it two weeks later after the last season game? So No, it's just one. They get one week. Okay, so, yeah, they play the second week. So he'll have a week off, which, I mean, Tennessee will too, but it just gives him more time to scheme. Love him or hate him, I mean, he's consistent. So you don't want to face him twice, and that's when last year as a Georgia fan, I was okay losing the SEC championship as long as we got him again in the national championship. So that's what everybody uh, around here was saying. And I was like, you just go sour grapes. Mother. You ain't making the national championship. You done lost SEC championship. And then sure enough, I had to eat crow in front of a bunch of damn people. <laughs> <laughs> What's anyway, speaking of beer that we're going to pick up from a loyal fan, which we appreciate. We had another loyal fan. A lovely young lady from Ballground, Georgia, who I met recently and gave us a crap ton of beer from Maryland, Virginia, and uh, North Carolina. And I happen to be enjoying a Double Dog IPA from Flying Dog Brewery. Brewery? Brewery? Brewery. (laughs) Maybe he's enjoying it too many. Just so you know, it's pretty strong. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Arlo wouldn't know yet because I ain't ain't sure shit we... Well, we got 
We got uh, two new patrons. We've got yeah. Meganibus Slatova and Cody Williamson. That's, that, that's got to be right. Oh, I, I'm, I killed that's both of them. Yeah. That sounds foreign. Well, it's okay. Now, let me explain something to you. Most of you know Mr. Edward Butler from Cigar Store Idiots. He gave us a $5 one-time patron donation. And so if you're not a patron and you're not into just signing up monthly to give your hard-earned money away, even though they will let you pay for the year in one fell swoop, you can just gift us on Patreon any amount of money that you so choose. So Edward reached out and dropped us a $5 bill. So thank you, Mr. Edward Butler. Well, let me just, let me also clarify something. We were gifted these beers by a very lovely young lady, like I said. And the reason why we're doing the Georgia Guidestones tonight is because she said, hey, can y'all do the Georgia Guidestones? And we said, you're damn right, we can, and we did them. That's right. If you really want us to cover a case, there is one surefire way to get that fast track, brother. That is right. So as Coach alluded, we are touching on the Guidestones of Georgia. Now, they have been described as a set of instructions for an apocalyptic event as a clock, a calendar, and a compass. The monument sits at the highest... Very crazy. It's very crazy. And for what the, happened on those stones, considering we had finally planned on going to see them, we are telling the story as in chronological order. So that is why we are going to speak the way we speak. But anyway, so the monument sits at the highest point in Elbert County and is oriented to track the sun's east west migration year round. On an equinox or solstice, visitors who stand at the west side of the mail slot are positioned to see the sunrise on the horizon. An eye-level hole drilled into the center support stone allows stargazers on the south side to locate Polaris, the north star. And a 7-8-inch hole drilled through the capstone focuses a sunbeam on the center column and at noon pinpoints the day of the year. Now, the story of the Guidestones began on a Friday afternoon in June 1979 when a sophisticated gray-haired gentleman showed up in Elbert County. The man made his way to the offices of the Elbert Granite Finishing Company and introduced himself as Robert C. Christian. He claimed to represent, quote, a small group of loyal Americans, end quote, who had been planning the installation of an unusually large and complex stone monument. Christian had come to Elberton, which just happens to be the county seat of Elbert County, and also is the granite capital of the world because he believed the quarries that held that granite would produce the finest stones on the planet. That's pretty good stuff, man. We uh, we make some good stuff here in Georgia. We sure do. You so rocks, go to Elberton. <laughs> you want your countertops? Go to Elberton. Joe Finley, Elberton Granite's president, brushed off the compliment due trying to finish his weekly payroll. When Christian began to describe the monument he had in mind, Finley stopped what he was doing and said, You have my attention, sir. Christian explained that he was looking for some very large stones, and those stones he described would be larger than any had ever been quarried in Elbert County. The kicker was not only 
that he was wanting them quarried, but he also wanted them cut, finished, and assembled into some kind of massive contraption. What in the world would it be for? Finley asked. Christian explained that the structure he had in mind would serve as a compass, a calendar, and a clock. It would also need to be engraved with a set of written guides in eight of the world's major languages, and it had to be capable of withstanding the most catastrophic events. Just in case the devastated remains of humanity would be able to use these guides to reestablish a civilization better than the one that was about to destroy itself. Shortly after the guidestones went, uh, a television reporter from Atlanta asked what he was thinking when he first heard Christian's plan, and he's referring to Finley. Quote, I was thinking, I got a nut in here now. How am I going to get him out of here? He attempted to discourage Mr. Christian by quoting him a price several times higher than the most expensive project he had ever commissioned through the finishing company. The job would require special tools, heavy equipment, and paid consultants, Finley explained. Christian didn't bat an eye and merely nodded. Unfazed, he asked how long it would take. Finley didn't really know, so he said six months at least. He went on. Now, what do you do when someone offers you way more money than you've ever had before? You say yes. That's right. If you just like make up, well, it'll cost hibbity jibbity billion dollars, and they're like, cool. You're you like, do it. Well, <laughs> shit. <laughs> looks like I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, looks like we're making a monument, boys. <laughs> he went on to tell Christian that he wouldn't be able to even consider such a task until he knew it could be paid for. Christian asked whether there was a banker in town that Finley considered trustworthy. Finley saw his chance to unload this strange bird and sent him to look for White Martin, president of the Granite City Bank. White Martin has been described as a tall and courteous man and is the only other person in Elberton besides Finley known to have met R.C. Christian face-to-face. Quote, Finley called me and said, a kook over here wants some kind of crazy monument, but when this fella showed up, he was wearing a very nice, expensive suit, which made me take a little more seriously than I had thought. And he was well-spoken, obviously an educated person, end quote. Martin was stunned when the man told him straight out that R.C. Christian was a pseudonym. He added that his group had been planning this secretly for 20 years and wanted to remain anonymous forever. Quote, and when he told me what it was he and this group wanted to do, I just about fell over. I told him, I believe you'd be just as well off to take that money and throw it out in the street into the gutters. He just sort of looked at me and shook his head like he felt kind of sorry for me, and he said, you don't understand, end quote. So Martin led Christian down the street to the town square where the city had commissioned a towering bicentennial memorial fountain which included a ring of 13 granite panels, each roughly two by three feet, signifying the original colonies. Quote, I told him that was about the biggest project ever undertaken around here, and it was nothing compared to what he was talking about. That didn't seem to bother him at all, end quote. Promising to return on Monday, Christian went off to charter a plane and spend the weekend scouting locations from the air. Quote, by then, I half believed he would show back up, Martin says. To Martin's surprise, Christian came back to the bank on Monday. 
Martin explained that he could not proceed unless he could verify the man's true identity and, quote, get some assurance you can pay for this thing, end quote. Eventually, the two negotiated an agreement. Christian would reveal his real name on the condition that Martin promised to serve as his sole intermediary, sign a confidentiality agreement pledging never to disclose the information to another living soul, and agree to destroy all documents and records related to the project when it was finished. Quote, He said he was going to send the money from different banks across the country because he wanted to make sure it couldn't be traced. He made it clear that he was a very serious man about his secrecy, end quote. Before leaving town, Christian met again with Finley and presented the contractor with a shoebox containing a wooden model of the monument he wanted plus 10 to 12 pages of detailed specifications. Finley accepted the model and instructions but remained skeptical until Martin phoned the following Friday to say he had just received a $10,000 deposit. After that, Finley stopped questioning and started working. Quote, my daddy loved the challenge, Finley's dollar said, Melissa Finley Caruso, and he said this was the most challenging project in the history of Elbert County, end quote. So construction on the Guidestones got underway in the latter part of the summer of 1979. Finley's company consistently documented the progress of the work in hundreds of photographs. Jackhammers were used to gouge 114 feet into the rock at Pyramid Quarry, searching for slabs of granite big enough to yield the final stones. Finley and his crew held their breath when the first 28-ton slab was lifted to the surface, pondering if their derricks would buckle under the extreme weight. A special, quote, burner, which is essentially a focused, narrow rocket motor, was used to cut and finish large blocks of the granite had to be trucked to Elberton to clean and size the stones, and a pair of master stone cutters was hired to smooth them. Now, both Finley and Martin helped Christian find an appropriate site for the Guidestones in Elbert County. The pair picked out a flat-topped hill rising above the pasture of the Double Seven Farms with views in all directions. For $5,000, owner Wayne Mullinex signed over a five-acre plot. In addition to the payment, Christian granted lifetime cattle grazing rights back to Mullinex and his children, and Mullinex's construction company got to lay the foundation for the Georgia Guidestones. So with the purchase... Yeah, this man's throwing money out like it's nothing, especially in 1979, 1980. Yeah, he's definitely got some cash lying around. Yeah, he's a little well off. Yeah, coming from somewhere. Who knows? (laughs) With the purchase of the land, the Guidestones' future was set. Christian said goodbye to Finley at the Granite Company office, adding, quote, you'll never see me again, end quote. Christian then turned and walked out the door without so much as a handshake. From then on, Christian communicated solely through Martin, writing a few weeks later to ask that ownership of the land and monument be transferred to Elbert County, which still holds it. Christian reasoned that civic pride would protect it over time. Quote, all of Mr. Christian's correspondence came from different cities around the country. He never sent anything from the same place twice, end quote. 
The astrological specifications for the guidestones were so complex that Finley had to hire an astronomer from the University of Georgia to help implement the design. The four outer stones were to be oriented based on the limits of the sun's yearly migration. The center column needed two precisely calibrated features, a hole through which the North Star would be visible at all times, and a slot that was to align with the position of the rising sun during the solstices and equinoxes. The primary element of the capstone was a 7 8 inch aperture through which a beam of sunlight would pass at noon each day, shining on the center stone to indicate the day of the year. The main feature of the monument, though, would be the 10 degrees carved into both faces of the outer stones in eight languages, which were English, Spanish, Russian, Chinese, Arabic, Hebrew, Hindi, and Swahili. And this is where the conspiracy theorists are going to run wild because this is not just some normal message. No, and it's not just in your average languages either. The mission statement of sorts let these be guidestones to an age of reason was also to be engraved on the sides of the capstone in Egyptian hieroglyphics, classic Greek, Sanskrit, and Babylonian cuneiform. The United Nations had to provide some of the translations because some of the languages were dead languages and were not practiced anymore. They so, were yeah, so what all languages are there? There was uh, you just list like the ink, ancient ones, but what yeah, else? English, Spanish, Russian, Chinese, Arabic, Hebrew, Hindi, and Swahili. Wow. Those are some pretty prominent languages. Just saying. Now the United Nations like I said, provided the translations for the dead languages, which had to be stenciled onto the stones and then etched by a sandblaster. By early 1980, a bulldozer was scraping the double seven hilltop down to the bedrock where five granite slabs serving as a foundation were laid out in a paddle wheel design. A hundred foot tall crane was used to lift the stones into place. Each of the outer rocks were 16 feet, 4 inches high, 6 feet, 6 inches wide, and 1 foot, 7 inches thick. The center column was the same except only half the width, and the capstone measured 9 feet, 8 inches long, 6 feet, 6 inches wide, and 1 foot, 7 inches thick. Now, including the foundation stones, the monument's total weight was almost 240,000 pounds. It was covered with sheets of black plastic in preparation for an unveiling on the spring equinox. The guidestones towered over the cattle that continued to graze beneath it at the approach of the end of winter. Yeah, that's a weird picture if you can find them online of the cows grazing by them. Just like, that just don't look right to me. The cows are like, eh, I don't care if you put these rocks here or not. (laughs) (laughs) The monument... Like Coach said, ignited controversy before it was even finished. The first rumor began among the members of the Elberton Granite Association. Jealous of the attention being showered on one of their own, Finley was behind the whole thing, they said, aided by his friend, Martin, the banker. The gossip became so poisonous that the two men agreed to take a lie detector test at the Elberton Civic Center. The scandal withered when the Elberton Star reported that they had both passed convincingly. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you're going to have what a publicity stunt, building an extremely expensive monument just to drum up attention for your. I mean, what? I don't know. That's just. Yeah, I don't. I that's don't a understand heck of that. a gamble. If you ask me. Yeah, a big gamble. Let's. You want to buy? You know, advertisements in USA Today. Nah. Hell no. We're Let's, gonna do this big old monument. Like we're gonna sink half our money into this one monument and hope it causes controversy. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now, with the publicity came a new wave of complaints. As word of what was being inscribed spread, Martin recalls even people he considered friends asked him why he was doing quote the devil's work. A local minister, James Travenstead, predicted that, quote, occult groups, end quote, would flock to the Guidestones, warning that someday a sacrifice will take place here. Well, we, we've we talked about the, the controversy, but why is it controversial? What do they say? I'm getting there, man. We're building up to it. It's like climax. Oh. Slow and steady wins the race. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm just excited. God, man. You're killing me, dog. <laughs> Those in- That's a good case, man. I get excited for when we do weird shit. I don't know. <laughs> Those inclined to agree with the old minister, hardly discouraged by Charlie Clamp, the sandblaster charged with carving each of the 4,000 plus characters on the stone. During the hundreds of hours he spent etching the guides, said he had been constantly distracted by, quote, strange music and disjointed voices, end quote. Hmm. The team that built the Guidestones didn't know who was financing the project, just that it was the biggest monument in the history of the county. The unveiling on March 22, 1980, was a community celebration. Congress member Doug Bernard, whose district contained Elberton, addressed a crowd of 400 people that flowed down the hillside and included television news crews from Atlanta. Soon, Joe Finley was the most famous Elbertonian since Daniel Tucker. And if you don't know who Daniel Tucker is, he was the 18th century minister memorialized in the folk song, Old Dan Tucker. Never heard of him, but, Never I, heard of him. Yeah, but I figured I'd put that <laughs> in there. <laughs> Bounded by the Savannah and Broad Rivers, but miles from the nearest interstate, quote, as rural as rural can be, in the words of the current star publisher Gary Jones, Elberton was suddenly a tourist destination with visitors from all over the world showing up to see the Guidestones. Quote, we'd have people from Japan, China, India, and everywhere wanting to go up there and see that monument. Martin says that Finley would boast that he and Martin put Elberton on the map. And that was affirmed literally in the spring of 2005 when National Geographic Traveler listed the Guidestones as a feature in its geotourism map guide to Appalachia. Here it is, Coach. You ready for the creme de la creme? I'm just going to say that it doesn't seem like something that should be in Appalachia. Like, I know, but I... We're not known for these type of things, for sure. No. We might be known for some granite outcroppings, but we don't... We ain't known for them any of their uh, slabs being itched in Swahili. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to come across many in rural Georgia. <laughs> oh, man. So many who read what was written on the stern, Stern's stones. The Stern's? Like Howard Stern? Yeah, were disturbed. Guide number one was, of course, the showstopper. 
Maintain humanity under $500 million in perpetual balance with nature. I mean, that makes sense until you consider that's, you know, killing, like, getting, well, maybe not killing, but getting rid of, I don't know, what, six and a half billion people? Yeah, to put it in perspective, there are 7.9 billion people on the planet right now, so that means that 12 out of every 13 would have to perish. I've seen it put like 15 out of 16. I just figured 12 out of 13 was pretty good. Well, I, as long as those the, the one out of the 13 survive, they, you know, as long as they listen to Mysterious Brews, it's all right. That's right. <laughs> this instruction was echoed and expanded by guide number two, guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. It didn't take a great deal of imagination to draw an analogy an analogy to the practices of, among others, the Nazis. Nazis. They were responsible for everything. Guide number three. Anything evil. Oh, I know. Just evil. Guide number three instructed readers to unite humanity with a living new language. Now, this sent a shiver up the spine of the local ministers who knew the book of Revelations warned of a common tongue and a one-world government as the accomplishments of the Antichrist. Guide number four, rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. That sounds horrible. Now, this was similarly threatening to Christians committed to the primacy of faith overall. Now, the last six guides were a sermon by comparison to the previous ones. So the next six go like this. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Balance personal rights with social duties. Prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. And the last one, be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Now, even as locals debated the relative merits of these new commandments that was erected in Elberton, the dire predictions of Reverend Travenstead seemed to be coming true because within a, fu- a fucking couple of months, I wasn't even going to say that. <laughs> I was trying to say within a few months and a couple of months snuck in there, so it was a fucking couple. Fuck it up, Within a few months, a coven of witches from Atlanta adopted the Guidestones as their home away from home, making weekend pilgrimages to Elberton to stage various pagan rites, quote, basically just dancing and chanting and all that sort of thing, end quote, Martin would say. That didn't really help the Guidestones case, did it? No, it didn't. (laughs) But I will say this, you know, for Martin to have grown up down there and was a banker, he had a pretty level head on his shoulders because he kept everything kind of on the even keel. Even when these this coven showed up, he said all they're doing basically is just dancing, chanting, and not harming anybody. There was also at Did least... They have orgies and stuff? No, there was at least one warlock witch marriage ceremony, but... Unfortunately, for all the reverends in the area, there was no humans that were sacrificed on the altar of stones. But rumor has it. opportunities right there, man. Rumor has it several chickens lost their heads there. 
poor little fellers. As long as they, they fry them up, up that's what after. I was about to say. As long as they fry them up, I don't see where the waste is at. Yeah, exactly. Waste not, want not, man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Teach his own, I guess. Now, an article in UFO Report magazine in 1981 cited Noni Batchelder, who the magazine identified as, quote, a noted Atlanta psychic, end quote. <laughs> Her and Dion Warwick. As predicting that the true purpose of the guides would be revealed, quote, within the next 30 years. Well, that's real easy. Hell, you got a great shot if you say it's within the next 30 years. Like sometime in the next, I don't know, thousand years or so, you'll find out. You'll see who, you'll know who killed JFK. Yeah, shit, <laughs> that'll never happen. Now, viewed from directly overhead, the Guidestones formed an X, the article in the UFO report observed, making for the perfect extraterrestrial landing spot. None of this kept visitors from coming, but after several failed investigations into the identity of R.C. Christian, the media lost interest in the hot topic. It would not be until 1993 that the Guidestones saw new interest. That is when Yoko Ono contributed a track called Georgia Stone to a tribute album for a modern composer named John Cage, where Ono is chanting the tenth and final guide nearly verbatim, which is, be not a cancer on earth, leave room for nature, leave room for nature. Yeah, I don't think many people heard it. Yeah, because she's a kook. I mean, an absolute kook. But anyway... Around 2003, comedian Roseanne Barr tried to work a bit on the Guidestones into her comeback tour, but nobody picked up on it. Now, Christian kept in touch with Martin, riding the banker so regularly that, that they became pen pals. Occasionally, Christian would call from a payphone at the Atlanta airport to say he was in the area, and the two would rendezvous for dinner in Athens, which is just a 40-mile drive west of Elberton. It's a little bit further from Atlanta, but who's to say? By this time, though, Martin no longer questioned Christian's secrecy. The older man had successfully deflected Martin's curiosity when the two first met by quoting Henry James's observations of Stonehenge. Quote, You may put a hundred questions to these rough-hewn giants as they bend in grim contemplation of their fallen companions, but your curiosity falls dead in the vast sunny stillness that enshrouds them. Christian, quote, never would tell me a thing about this group he belonged to, Martin says. He received his last letter from Christian right around the time of the 9-11 terrorist attacks and assumes the man who would have been in his mid-80s has since passed away. Now, the mysterious story of R.C. Christian and the absence of information about the true meaning of the Guidestones was bound to become an enticing draw for conspiracy theorists and, quote, investigators of all kinds. If you can think it up, there is no shortage of explanations when it comes to the meaning of the Guidestones. One of the more famous or infamous, however you want to look at it, is that of a man named Mark Dice. He wrote a book called The Resistance Manifesto. In 2005, Dice, who was using the pseudonym name John Connor, began to demand that the Guidestones be smashed into a million pieces. 
He claimed that the monument has, quote, a deep satanic origin, end quote, a stance that has earned him plenty of coverage both in print and around the world wide webs. According to Dice, Christian was a high-ranking member of a, quote, Luciferian secret society, end quote, at the forefront of the New World Order. Like Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage and all them? No, not that NWO. Or, or more nefarious version. The more nefarious version. Like, not the like tag the team duo. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, the elite are planning to develop successful life extension technology in the next few decades that will nearly stop the aging process, and they fear that the current population of Earth so high, the masses will be using resources that the elite want for themselves. The Guidestones are the New World Order's Ten Commandments. They're also a way for the elite to get a laugh at the expense of the uninformed masses, as their agenda stands as clear as day, and the zombies don't even notice it, end quote. Hmm. Now, the irony of his message and his theory is that he is directly responsible for even more publicity for the Guidestones. Because remember, nobody was paying him any attention until Genius here writes another book. With his book and the publicity that follows, that entails a fresh new crop of visitors to the monument and made Elbert County officials even less inclined to remove the area's only major... Tourism attraction. So what you're telling me is if the devil himself made them stones, you ain't going to tear them down? Well, sir, they're bringing in about $500,000 a year. You willing to stroke that check? <laughs> money wa- money talks, man. Yeah. You're bringing in that much that much to the county, yeah. And if you've, never been, them down. if you've never been through Elberton, don't blink. Now, Phyllis Brooks, who runs the Elbert County Chamber of Commerce, pronounced herself horrified when the Guidestones were attacked by vandals for the first time. Now, while Dice denies any involvement in the vandalism, he seems to have inspired it. Spray painted on the stone messages were things like, quote, Jesus will beat you Satanist, no one world government, uh, and then other defacements asserted that the Council on Foreign Relations is, quote, ran by the devil and that the 9-11 attacks were an inside job. And President Obama was a Muslim. <laughs> the vandals also splashed the guidestones with polyurethane, which is much more difficult to remove than paint. Despite the graffiti's alignment with his views, Dice says he disapproves of the act. Quote, a lot of people were glad such a thing happened and saw it as standing up against the New World Order, while others who are unhappy with the stones saw the action as counterproductive and inappropriate, end quote. Now, Martin scowls any time he hears Dice's, quote, Luciferian secret society take on the Guidestones. But while he disagrees, he also admits that he doesn't know for sure, quote, all I can tell you is that Mr. Christian always seemed a very decent and sincere fella to me, end quote. Now, Dice is not the only person with a theory about the Guidestones. Jay Widener, a former Seattle radio commentator turned well-educated conspiracy hunter, has heavily invested time and energy into one of the most popular hypotheses out there. He goes on to argue that Christian and his associates were Rosicrucians. 
followers of the Order of the Rosy Cross, a secret society of mystics that originated in late medieval Germany and claim understanding of esoteric truths about nature, the universe, and the spiritual realm that have been concealed from ordinary people. Now, Wiedner considers the name R.C. Christian as an homage to the legendary 14th century founder of the Rosicrucians, a man first identified as Freiter, CRC, and later as Christian Rosenkreutz. Wagner notes that secrecy has been a hallmark of the Rosicrucians, a group that announced itself to the world in early 17th century with a pair of anonymous manifestos that created a huge stir across Europe, despite the fact that no one was ever able to identify a single member. While the guides on the Georgia Stones fly in the face of Orthodox Christian eschatology, that is, the theology of the end of the world, or the end of the humankind as we know it, they do conform quite well to the tenets of Rosicrucianism, which stress reason and endorse a harmonic relationship with nature. He believes that for generations, the group has been passing down knowledge of a solar cycle that culminates Every 13,000 years during this culmination, outside coronal mass ejections are supposed to devastate Earth. Meanwhile, the shadowy organization behind the Guidestones is now orchestrating a, quote, planetary chaos. Widener believed that this will begin with the collapse of the U.S. financial system and will result eventually in major disruptions of oil, food supplies, mass rights, and ethnic wars worldwide leading up to the big event on December 21st, 2012. Quote, Did it happen? They want to get, Did I miss it? They want to get the population down, and this is what they think will do it. The Guidestones are there to instruct the survivors. End quote. Well, guess what? That was almost 10 years ago, and we're still rocking on, brother. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, things have pretty much gone downhill since 2012. Maybe they were right. <laughs> <laughs> on hearing Widener's ideas, Martin shakes his head and says, quote, the sort of thing that makes me want to tell people everything I know, end quote. Martin has long since retired from banking and no longer lives in Elberton, yet he's still the Guidestone's official and only secret keeper. Quote, but I can't tell, end quote. The old man quickly adds, I made a promise. Martin also made a promise to destroy all the records of his dealings with Christian, though he hasn't kept that one, at least not as of 2012. In the back of his garage was a large, hard-sided case of an IBM computer he bought back in 1983. Stuffed with every document connected to the Guidestones that ever came into his possession, including the letters from Christian. For years, Martin thought he might write a book, but now he knows he probably won't. When asked whether he's prepared to take what he knows to his grave, Martin replies that Christian would want him to do just that. Quote, all along, he said that who he was and where he came from had to be kept secret. He said mysteries work that way. If you want to keep people interested, you can let them know only so much, end quote. That's some loyalty right there, man. I mean, honestly. I know. I wonder what else he, I wonder if he gave him some monetary either, stuff. Either that or he's scared. Uh, either way, it worked. Cause, from what will happen if he does. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Think about that. He could have just told him. He said, "Look, you know, after I'm dead and gone, if you ever drop this secret bomb, there'll be plenty of us left that will reach out and make sure you don't see the light of day." So, I mean, you're right. It could be one of those veiled threats that he's like, "To heck with it. It ain't worth it. It's just granite on a hilltop." While Everton, yeah, I mean, seriously, is the larger town now? This one now here's this plays into the Rosicrucianism thing. Elberton is the larger town in the general vicinity of where the Guidestones are, but the actual nearest community is named Dewey Rose. This is either an extraordinary coincidence or perhaps more likely the real reason the Guidestones were positioned where they are because the word Dew and Rose are both intimately tied to the Rosicrucian tradition. The pseudonym R.C. Christian is, can be tied, like we discussed, to the founder of the Rosicrucian movement, Christian Rosencruz, also known as Christian Rose Cross or Christian R.C. Quote, that the name Rosicrucian was not derived from Rose and Cross, but from Ross, which is Dew, and Crux, having an alchemical meaning connected with Dew as a supposed solvent of gold and with the cross as the equivalent of light. Without attempting to penetrate these alchemical mysteries, it can be said that the discovery of the close association of John D.'s Monas and its motto on the, quote, Dew of Heaven with the Rosicrucian Manifesto may now give some support to the Rose Cross Theory. Speaking on Dewey Rose in Elbert County, I found this, says, quote, in the early 1800s, a community was established on this site and was called Willis Crossing. When a post office was set up, the postmaster wanted a more unique name and one that would not be easily confused with any other. Early one morning, his young daughter went out into the yard where dew covered the ground. Entranced by the glistening picture before her, she ran back into the house and excitedly claimed, Daddy, come outside and look at the dewy roses. End quote. Hmm. Again, could be nothing, but you have to admit, it makes you think. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's pretty coincidental if you ask me, but. Now, they maybe, go on to state that more to it. the community's name may have more than folklore at play. And it says it was originally, I don't know where they found this, but whoever. Originally settled by Rosicrucians, adept with plans of an eventual monument. And it's more likely they you may have had a couple of Rosicrucians settle that area and they wanted to put a name like Dewey Rose on it so that other Rosicrucians would know without them publicly broadcasting there was other Rosicrucians there. But like you said, it's a hell of a coincidence. And it's just another one of those sweet conspiracy theories to add to the mystery of the Georgia Godstones. Now we get to, I had forgotten about this until I started researching it, the Ted Turner theory. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this is a little far-fetched. Yeah, it is. All right, so Ted Turner, if you don't know, look him up. No, I'm just joking. He is uh, still an American businessman, billionaire, and founder of the news channel CNN. 
and he was one of the numerous public figures that some believed was R.C. Christian. When the stones were erected in 1979, Turner had the end of the world on the brain, along with millions around the world who had lived through the decades of the Cold War. Shortly before CNN launched in 1980, Turner directed the Turner Doomsday Video, a film showing a performance of Near My God to Thee, allegedly played by the band as the Titanic sunk, by members of the United States Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marine bands. As its name suggests, the video was meant to be the very last thing played on CNN at the end of the world. It wasn't entirely certain the Turner Doomsday video even existed until it was leaked online in 2015 by Michael Balabon, a former intern. Have you ever seen Have it? Have you seen it? No, I hadn't. Yeah, it's creepy, man. Is it? But I mean, why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it be? Well, I mean, if you were, <laughs> I was going to say, if you were planning for it to be the last thing as humanity as we know it takes a nosedive, it needs to be creepy. Well, if you didn't know what it was in in that context, like you just say, hey, man, watch this video. You'd be like, oh, that's kind of sweet. That's What is that? Oh, it was. it's the last thing that's going to be played as humanity expires. Then it becomes really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's more of the context of what it's for. <laughs> Well, according to a 2011 Forbes article, Ted Turner's plans to save the world, Turner had abandoned his prediction of a planet where most of the population will die off, leaving only a few cannibals to roam the scorched earth, implying he had previously considered the end of the known world as a possible scenario. Is it so far-fetched that a multi-billionaire created the Georgia Guidestones for the world's decimated population following a nuclear holocaust? But not that far fetched now that you say it like that. As for the environmental and reproductive focuses of the contents of them, their guidestones, they appear to align with Turner's own ideologies. In 1990, Turner founded the Turner Foundation, TFI, whose mission is to, quote, protect and restore the natural systems, air, land, and water, on which all life depends, end quote. And in 1998, Turner donated $1 billion which was at the time a third of his wealth to the United Nations to establish the United Nations Foundation, which focuses on global issues that include gender equality, tackling environmental issues, and climate change. Among the list, yeah, but he still he, he still ain't paid all that off. Well, no, to shit. this day, no shit. He's still I mean, alive too. I know he's donated more than I have, but I could say I'm going to donate a billion dollars and not do it. <laughs> true. True. It's the same way like you and I have won the exact same amount of Tour de France as Lance Armstrong. That's right. Zero. <laughs> and have the same Heismans as Reggie Bush. Zero. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. So among the list of projects the United Nations Foundation has been involved in include Family Planning 2020 and Universal Access Project, which focused on sexual health and reproductive health. While Turner's philanthropy interests align with some points on the Georgia Guidestones, this theory seems to be significantly less nefarious than some of the other ones out there. However, if R.C. Christian really is deceased, then you got to rule Ted Turner out because he's still kicking. He's alive and well. Well, I mean, if they're going to lie about a lot of things, they could probably lie about R.C. being dead. True. True that. All right. So if you've never seen it, Brad Meltzer, Brad Meltzer's History Channel 
show that lasted, what was it, two seasons, I think? It was some kind yeah, of. Yeah, Dakota, that's gonna, that yeah. was going to be my recommendation, darn it. You're going to try harder, boy. It's still going to be. <laughs> I knew you wasn't going to look for nothing else. Yeah, I can't think of nothing else. What are you talking about? Like, so his take on it says this. Now, most of this is his little diatribe at the end of the episode or through the episode, but it does make a lot of sense once you put it all together. He says, think about this. If you had a vision of an American Stonehenge, a massive granite creation bearing your philosophy for the world, and you possess the resources to underwrite its creation, would you want to keep your name out of it? For most of us, I think the answer would be probably not. Our egos and our vanity might insist that we take at least some of the credit. Yet, among the inscriptions on the monument is the announcement that their byline is a pseudonym. Is this humility or deliberate misdirection? If you knew it was going to cause all this controversy, you're not going to. Whomever did it probably knew it was going to cause all this controversy. They don't want the hassle of, you know, people coming to, you know, harass them, kill them, or whatever. It makes perfect sense that they wouldn't let their name be known. True that. True that. Now, human nature and the role vanity plays in it would seem to rule out one name often mentioned as a possible source of the funding, which is who we just discussed, Mr. Ted Turner. If I could use a pseudonym when I graded papers, I would. Like, I don't want, I don't want kids' parents knowing that I, yeah. I gave them an F. I don't want to have to deal with that, much less deal with re- religious people, religious conspiracy theorists who think I'm working for the devil. You make a very valid point, sir. You make a very <laughs> valid point. Now, Turner is a media mogul, uh, one of America's largest individual owners of real estate up until Bill Gates. And at one point, Turner argued that the earth would be better served by a far smaller population than the present numbers, a statement that generated much controversy at the time. But while the well, I mean, it's... Can, it definitely can cause controversy if you're thinking in the terms of, oh, well, he wants to kill uh, uh, thir- uh, 12 out of 13 people. Maybe they're just suggesting, hey, start using condoms more often. True. You know, it's not necessarily meaning let's commit horrifyingly large genocide on a ginormous scale. Maybe it's just like, hey, wrap it up, pull out, do something <laughs> Have a strong pullout game. If you can't feed 10 kids, don't have 10 kids. Hell, that's been going on before the monument was up. But anyway. That's what I'm saying. That's how we got it. That's how the population got in this predicament. Yeah. But while the ideas expressed on the stones, if interpreted benignly, do reflect some of Turner's well-known global harmony environmental concerns, modesty, humility, and anonymity are not qualities often or maybe ever associated with with the man once widely referred to as the mouth of the South. That's Jimmy Hart, brother. I'm Don't sorry. You ever saw the good name of Jimmy Mouth of the South Hart again. I didn't say Jimmy the Hart. I just said that Ted Turner was I know called. What I'm saying. That's mouth not of the Ted South. Turner's nickname because he can't be the mouth of the South. Because it's Jimmy Hart. It's Jimmy Hart. There's one and only Jimmy Hart. That's right. All right. All right. So a couple of years ago, <laughs> around the time. Meltzer did his TV show. A man named Hudson Cone was interviewed by Meltzer's team, 
and said that he was present at the Granite Company when the Guidestones were being created. Cone remembers Christian as a tall, balding man with a fringe of white hair. He was well-spoken and conducted himself well. He gave no indication of who or what he represented. That ambiguity, Cone believes to this day, was deliberate. What better way to get people talking and thinking about the nature of our relationship to the world and to one another than by creating an enormous mystery? He states, quote, anytime you have something with an air of mystery around it, you invite different interpretations, end quote. Those differing interpretations, Cone insists, are one of the things that have kept the Georgia Guidestones at the center of so much speculation and public interest. He has had people tell him that the site is the holiest spot, while others argue that it's a profane location, a focal point for satanic power and ultimate evil. Cone doesn't believe that the spot or the guidestones are evil. In fact, he thinks that the questions on the guidestones raise are themselves its truest purpose. Quote, I believe it was put here to stimulate curiosity, end quote. Now, another reason for them being put up our in rural Georgia is, well, I wouldn't say is, but has to do with Edgar Casey, yes, that Edgar Casey, the mystic, his theory on earth changes. Casey is. The Bimini Road, he's the one that said the Bimini Road would be found for Atlantis. You don't know who Edgar Casey is? This podcast is over. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know, man. I know Bimini Road, but I don't know that name. Well, Lord, I apologize. He has this theory, so I'm going to educate you like I am our listeners. So pay attention. There's going to be a quiz. This time it's multiple, it's going to be multiple choice. This time, you got a chance. You got a fighting chance, son. You got a puncher's chance. All right, all right. All right, here we go. So the theory of Earth changes states or argues that we are rapidly approaching a time of devastating changes to the surface of the Earth. Those changes could be the result of either earthquakes, an asteroid, comet impact, supervolcanoes, solar flares, whatever. As we've seen, particularly in terms of the end of the world phenomenon in 2012, believers also, with previous apocalypse believers, think that the end of the world would accompany the new millennium, or those who saw global devastation coming as Halley's Comet returned, or any of the hundreds of other doomsday fates that have come and gone. The specific details of the actual apocalypse vary from believer to believer, and some of them have already been proven inaccurate, like the mind calendar and all that other stuff. What matters, and this is what Casey argued, was it will happen. So one of those things that he listed would be the end of humanity as we know it. What matters for the purpose of decoding the Guidestones is the consequences of the devastation. Now, according to Casey's Earth Changes Theory... It turns out that in addition to the changes that would alter the physical face of the world, there are, quote, safe zones that would ride out the earth changes and in doing so provide a psychic focus for the energies needed to rebuild the world. One of those safe zones is, you guessed it, right outside of Elberton, Georgia. Well, if you get in a grant, you get, you know, you get surrounded by granite, man, you can survive anything. Yeah, I mean, you make a great point. Granite's not going, you're not really going to destroy it, so you might chip it a little bit. 
<laughs> now, this is where the guidestones would stand, meaning that it would be ready to help survivors of the earth changes rebuild the world and rebuild it better. So, were the Georgia Guidestones exactly what they appeared to be, a tool for getting people to think about the nature of existence and the ways in which the existence could be improved? Nope, they're the work of the devil. Now, there is a higher than likely chance that the Rosicrucian theory is probably legitimate. You also have to look at the time in history when the Georgia Guidestones came into being in the late 70s, early 80s. It was a time of incredible international tensions between the United States and then the USSR. The underlying current of those tensions were tens of thousands of nuclear warheads, an arsenal of destruction aimed at each other's throats, and more than capable of bringing down the entire world's civilization. The possibility of a nuclear holocaust could have prompted R.C. Christian and his group of investors to create the message that was placed on the Georgia Guidestones, a message intended for the survivors of a global nuclear holocaust a message designed to help them restore a balance to the earth and avoid the mistakes that just destroyed their ancestors. That makes a lot of sense to me, but nope, it was the devil. Yep, he sold on it, ladies and gentlemen. You're not changing his mind. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of crazy to think, and it's, you know, that we just live in a world and everybody's okay with it. And the fact that there's two people probably more now with other countries, but there's two people in power right now that could end the entire world with the push of a button. Yep. And one of them, and we're so damn, and we we're so damn sophisticated that he's got a damn briefcase. Oh yeah. Carried with him at all times. At all times, there's a man with a briefcase handcuffed to his arm that all you got to do is open it up, turn a few keys, press a few buttons and the whole boopity. fucking world dies. Beepity boopity bop. We all go just out a normal, with the Just a normal Thursday in October. Let's just let's just end the world. This is crazy, and we're just cool with it. Nobody bats an eye anymore. Yep. No one does, except the people that still keep up with the atomic clock. Yeah, those three guys in the basement of some lab. That's true. They're highly educated. <laughs> now we get to the crying in the beer. Ultimately, for those of us that knew the Georgia Guidestones or were not hidden under a rock the last couple of months, at approximately 4 a.m. local time on July the 6th, 2022, an explosion of undetermined origin rocked the structure, destroying at least one column and other parts of the Georgia Guidestones. Cameras that were said to have operated 24-7 at the structure failed to capture who was responsible for the destruction and exactly what happened. What it did capture was a, it's kind of like, I think the same people that installed that camera is the same people that installed that camera at the crossing arm footage of the Pentagon getting hit by that plane. Like you just see an explosion. and a sil- But at the Guidestones, you do see a silver car. Yeah, and you know those people ruined our field trip. They planned that we had been putting off. We'd been planning to go for what nine years, yeah, probably ten years, and we had finally committed to taking. We were like, "We're going this day, man. Just be ready. We gotta go. It's finally time. We gotta see it." And then, like, what two weeks before? Boom! What the fuck? Yeah, we were gonna go the weekend after the fourth. And two days Wait. after the fourth, boom. Wait a minute. 
did we mention it on air? Could it have been a mysterious bruise listener oh. that was like, oh, I fucking think not, pal. A new conspiracy <laughs> has been hatched. No way I'm going to let Coach go see Guidestones and eat barbecue. No fucking way. Not on my watch. I think we may have verbalized it. I think we ha- we may have said we're planning a trip and we're going to get some barbecue and I was going to take my son. You're right. I think we may have. Where was your son that night? Maybe oh, he, he's like, I'm not taking a trip with Coach. There's no damn way. No, he's an old soul. That son, that son of mine would rather stay home than do anything. I tr- trust me. <laughs> trust me. In those angsty years, you don't understand, Dad. You were never young like me. No, he. I've not gotten those angst years yet. But I mean, this boy has an old soul. He loves to be at home. He loves to do nothing. God, that sounds like heaven to me. I know. If I was, if I had that mentality when I was his age at my house, oh, I'd have been perfect. I wouldn't have had anxiety or depression. Yeah. Or I would have been visiting various administration offices. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So the morning after the explosion, news reporters were on the scene. Daniel Graves, the mayor of Elberton, was also on the scene. He was interviewed by several reporters. He said, quote, my initial reaction to the explosion was heartbreaking, anger, frustration, and I think that's consistent with the community's reaction, end quote. He went on to say that despite their bad reputation, the Georgia Guidestones were not evil. He also said the monument brought money into his community from tourism. Here's what's fucked up. Like, the explosion happens... On like early morning, July the 6th, by the end of the day on July the 7th, they've leveled it because supposedly it yeah, was structurally unsound. Yeah, to me, that's what really, really is a mystery to me is how they just up and decided that quickly that it couldn't be saved. We're going to get rid of it. Yeah, I because mean, it brought so much money into the community. You would think they'd want to do whatever they could to save it. That's what's the biggest mystery to me is not really who blew it up or put something on the site. Because you know, they're saying that it could have been plastic explosives or something like that. I'll tell you who blew it up, man. It's some crazy conspiracy theorist that watched too much damn YouTube, convinced themselves that this shit was evil, and they just fucking... They live in Georgia, man. They got We got explosives laying around. It ain't, you know. We got a nuclear bomb off the coast of Savannah and they ain't found yet. Yeah, there's, I mean, within probably a square mile of here, there's probably seven to eight metric tons of tannerite. True. <laughs> you have a good point. But I'm with you, though. The, the true conspiracy is who ultimately said, knock her down, she's structurally unsound. Yeah, how do you even, I mean, it was it's granite and they set off a bomb. And it didn't destroy it completely. The other ones were fine. That was my thing. That other- Ooh, like they didn't move. The one the one pillar blew up. The other ones were standing there. And the capstone had a chip in it. I think. And here's the thing. The capstone has the chip in it. Yes, I understand that it would take a lot of time and effort to replace that one slab and redo the capstone but it's not unheard of you could go back and finish that take off that one side finish it and put the etching back on the capstone i don't know i that's the head scratcher to me is why destroy the other replace anything you just had to rope it off and not let tourists get to it anymore put a fence up yeah i mean you're right and 
could still make your money because I promise you this right now, especially at the time frame that we had chosen, I promise you right now, you and I would have still went. Like, son of a bitch, they blew it up. We got to go see that shit. Like, yeah. Which one did the they tourism blow up? money wouldn't have, it might have slowed down significantly, but the tourism money would not have dried up. No, but you basically just shit the bed. Or there's more to it. it I mean, oh, there's definitely more to it. We just don't know what it is. I mean, I'm not stupid, but I just I mean, you want to say that again? And I'm not the one. I'm not the one that wears orange on Saturdays, and I'm not hunting. So I'm not stupid. <laughs> I, mean, you really, I mean, people, the ten people that have heard all these episodes, you really gonna? I'm putting lie it out there. Their and claim that there's a sweet couple in Arkansas that will come to my bat, and maybe a bald headed guy from northeast Ark or northwest Arkansas that transported beer down here. I think he would take my side. Yeah, maybe. I mean, who you got? Your sister <laughs> and your girlfriend? Come on. No, they know I'm dumb as hell. I never made that claim. <laughs> We're not talking about me, some bitch. We're talking about Thanks. you. They ain't a soul alive that will tell you otherwise that I'm not dumb as shit. <laughs> well, I'm a highly educated moron. I will promise you that, man. Oh, I am too. Good God. <laughs> so but yeah, to me, to me, that's the bigger mystery of the event that destroyed it is why they just completely demolished it. I mean, hell, Stonehenge is structurally unsound. They just don't let you approach it anymore. Yeah, don't you have to get, like, special permission to get within 100 yards of Stonehenge? Oh, I have no idea. I ain't never been. But if somebody wants to send us, I'll fucking find out. We'll get inside that 100. <laughs> I will go to jail in, in England for you if you will send us. Well, what are they going to do? They don't, the cops don't carry guns. I can outrun most bobbies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, yes, that is. We're going to leave you with the head scratcher of who... Not only who blew it up, but the more riveting question is, why did they tear the rest of it down? Yeah, I mean, we could get into the crazy conspiracy theories of why they blew it up. The person that bombed it did it, but I think it's pretty simple. I honestly think the crazy YouTube conspiracy is the most likely scenario of what happened. Well, and don't you think, though, that they would want to be known for it? Unless they're a group and organization similar to RCC Christians? Well, I'm pretty sure whoever did it is aware that America has prisons. So they're probably not going to want a cop to being responsible for a fucking felony. Well, no, dumbass. I didn't say that one person would come out and go, oh, dude, it. Unless they're like mentally unstable. I'm talking about, I'm amazed that they, someone hasn't come out and said, you know, just not to the round table motorcycle club is responsible. I don't know. All right, so that is just, the oh brother, the Georgia Guidestones as we again, see. We, again, we end a pod, <laughs> an episode on a mystery. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> Who would have thunk it? So go ahead with your recommendation. I'm going to recommend uh, Brad Meltzer's Decoded. It is available on YouTube. Just look up Georgia Guidestones and scroll. You'll see it. I think it's number three. Watched it today. It's pretty good. I love that show. He just run out of shit to do. 
He does have a, like a little bit of a condescending tone to me, though. They said that the reason that it was filmed the way it was, and he sent the uh, investigators out in the field, is he is like a huge germaphobe. Yeah. I did notice that, that he was not on site at all. Yeah, he's a little pasty to be out there in the heat. <laughs> so my recommendation is going to be the new season of Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. I hear it is quite lovely. Watched, I've seen the first three already, man. That first one is crazy. Did you watch it? No, that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. Dude, that first one's nuts, man. So watch it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you want your topic covered quickly, send us beer. Are very much easily bought. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even going to lie to you. You throw some money our way, some suds, cold frosty mug. We'll talk about damn near anything. Hell, we, only thing is we still can't do a solved case. I, have, I still don't like doing that when somebody will email me or DM me about a case and I'll look it up excited and I'll be like, we don't do solved cases. Yeah, somebody had asked. No, yours is interesting. It's amazing and it is very much podcast worthy, but we kind of set ourselves up for <laughs> when we put mysterious in the name. Yeah, somebody had recommended Dorothea Puente. And Dorothea Puente. She was a, basically, she's a serial killer, but she killed a lot of patients. She's one of those that when Netflix come out with the Jeffrey Dahmer thing, she would kill them by putting in, I think she put arsenic in tea, and they said, would you rather take a class, a cup of tea from Dorothy Puente or chili from Dahmer? I'm taking the chili because I'm thinking the chili. I'm taking the chili. Yeah. I've I've heard we taste like pork, so I'm okay with it. Oh, I know I do. Shit, I got enough damn grease in me to fucking <laughs> to fuel a million lamps, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh coach, you got anything else? You know I don't. Uh deuces. <laughs> <laughs>